Hello, welcome to Blades Pod. It is Monday the 13th of August. Uh, my name is Ben. I am joined once again uh, by fellow uptheblades.com contributor, writer, general provider of great content, Jay, aka Blades Analytic. How you doing, mate? Very well, mate. Much better for the weekend. How about yourself? Absolutely the same. I'm, uh, I'm itching to get into this, actually. I mean... I suppose one thing just to clarify before we get going is uh, it's not that I avoided doing a podcast last week simply because we lost both games. It's more that, you know, three games in a week, I wanted to, these things take a little bit of time to plan and put together. And I wanted to make sure it had a full a full week of relevancy before uh, before doing one, I suppose. So, uh, yeah, don't, don't expect it to just be the case that we'll only do a podcast if we win a game. Um, it's just that's how it shook out this time. But... Um, yeah, before we get started then, so obviously United beat QPR this weekend, uh, came from behind to win 2-1. Question for you, mate. Do you know how many times last season we came from behind to win a game in the league? Oh, you've stumped me because I did last year when I tweeted this out, but I don't now. Um, none? One single time out of 46 league games, United came from behind to win. Of course, we did just that this weekend. Uh, very satisfying after, you know, what may well look in hindsight to be a very difficult start to the season. Um, I kind of went into this game thinking uh, a point will be quite good, even if QPR is sort of predicted to be lower mid-table. But we got all three, and uh, we're going to talk about that uh, in some detail and then come on to a few other things as well. Um, but yeah, let's, let's, let's get cracking on QPR then. So, I mean... Not a vintage performance, I don't think. I think that's fair to say. I think we played a lot better at times last season. I would say it was probably our best performance so far, although perhaps that's not such a high bar to clear after these previous two games. But, you know, overall, a very welcome and kind of well-managed win, I thought. Um, You know, I, I know Steve McLaren, the QPR manager, has kind of said, oh, Sharp's goal was was offside and the penalty was not a penalty, but... I don't agree with that. I mean, from what I haven't seen anything that shows that Sharp's offside. Watching the uh, watching the game live, I did think it was a push on McGoldrick as well. And you know, it's a soft one, I guess. But at the same time, I was as soon as it happened, I was like, ah, oh, he's pushed him. He was about to head it into the goal, and uh, penalty was duly given. Um, but yeah, what was your kind of thoughts on uh, on this win, this performance? Then, yeah, if we start off with the penalties and let's clarify those. Um, I think you know, I was watching the I watched the game. Um, also watched it back and also watched the highlights on, on the wonderful channel that is Quest with the 70s backdrop of music um, <laughs> I, I, I found that the, the kind of people who've analysed the game have, have really missed the fact that Jake Bidwell really backs into McGoldrick I mean this is the type of foul that was shown and given all World Cup long yeah. you know it's the type of thing that VAR would have picked up on if VAR was prevalent in the championship and it's a foul <laughs> it's soft because of what it is he didn't really need foul him as such but as you say McGoldrick's risen above his defender it's about to plant smack on his head from four yards out and he gets a push in the back which makes him marches back and miss the ball so it's a penalty as far as I'm concerned um, I'm sure we'd be up in arms against us but it was what it was I mean I guess one of the uh, one of the major talking points from this game was the addition of three players that uh I suppose off the back of those first two games, a lot of people have been kind of, uh, if not clamouring for, but certainly making a strong case for for them to get a game against QPR. And that was Richard Stearman at the back, Billy Sharp up front, of course, and then Mark Duffy also, of course. And um, yeah, I, I mean, 
I think the impact of all three of these players was uh, was pretty huge. To be honest, you want to uh, any one of them in particular you want to you want to just dip into to start with? Um, I, I guess I, I you know we've we've done a written piece with this, which breaks that down as well. But I'd look at Duffy. Um, I think we all know what Duffy brings and has been crying out for him. He didn't bring too much, quite frankly, um, into the game. He had a lot of touches in, in good areas, but he didn't actually create much. But it's what he does when he does something mm. that's the key. And the pass he played to Freeman was the sheer example of that. I don't think we've seen a pass like that this season. You know, in a half space, in the final third, on the angle, a defence splitting pass that sets up something that's quite easy to, for Freeman then to pick out a striker one yard out. Mm. Um, you know, that, that, that pass and then the ultimate... Uh, switch from Freeman into the middle that set up the highest expected goals chance of the weekend Sheffield United had the highest chance of the mm. weekend it was even higher than the penalty um, and I think that goes to show what we're trying to do it's what we, me and you have spoken about before and that is with our intricate play with the players we have we're not going to run you we're not going to shoot from distance what we're going to do is work it around the area look for a cutback look for a cross and try and have something a yard out if we can and, um, again, with, with Duffy, you get that option because he can play those defence-splitting through balls, but others mm. can't. And Freeman as well, it has to be said, I don't believe if George Bulldog's on the pitch, he makes that run. Yeah, That, that might sound harsh against George because he, he did appear in the box against Swansea, but he doesn't make that inside-to-out type run. He doesn't attack that space in, the twi- in, the, in behind the fullback on that timing of waiting for a pass that Freeman does and then certainly doesn't pick someone out like Freeman did for the quality. I mean, Freeman only put in two crosses all game, and one of them was the assist for the goal. Mm. It's not about the quantity of what he does. George puts in more crosses and more passes, but what Freeman does certainly provides a much higher quality output, and, and that's a big thing for us. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually didn't mention Freeman there, but of course he was a uh, you know a pretty key addition to this team as well. But yeah, I, I think you're spot on there. I mean, I, from memory, I don't really feel like... Uh, a Bulldog seems to be the kind of, sort of attacking wing-back that gets the ball... Uh, in front of the defence almost, whereas, yeah, Freeman, that's a classic example of him actually running beyond the defence and picking it up. And we, you know, we, I feel like we saw that loads, particularly in League One, you know, you get you know, pretty much get to the byline and we're picking the ball up, you know, picking up passes from there. But yeah, uh, great impact by him as well. Uh, I thought Stearman, um, see, this was an interesting one for me because, you know, from what we've talked about, uh, John Egan is going to be the guy to sit in the middle of our defence and be be the stopper and allow Basham and O'Connell to, you know, get forward and join the attack, etc. Um, but after two games, we uh, possibly, you know, a horses for courses selection, but we, we moved away from that and uh, obviously brought Stearman back into the team. And it was actually him that was playing in the centre again with, uh, with Egan playing as the sort of right side of centre-back. But... You know, it's only one game, but we actually defended much better in this game. I thought. I mean, it was very. I know you've uh, you've drawn attention to this in in your write up, which uh, hopefully will be on the site before uh, by the, about the time that people are listening to this. But the back three actually remained as a three for most of the game. There was there was very little kind of pushing forward. Um, and yeah, I thought Stearman had a, a very solid game back there, and I thought Egan and O'Connell probably their best best performance of the season so far as well. So yeah, that was good to see. I thought. Absolutely. Hit, hit the nail on the head. Because they stayed as a three, it actually suited having three defenders. You know, he, the reason that we always argue, argued Egan can't play at right centre-back is because our expectations of what a right centre-back in our system should do. Mm. And that is that Chris Basham last year, from right centre-half, had the highest amount of successful dribbles in the league. Mm. You know, more than wing-backs. That, that's not what should be happening in a normal team. 
Yeah, because we defended as a three with three defenders, the only job the defenders had to do was defend. Um, and they did it absolutely admirably. And you're quite right, Stearman was key to that. His actual numbers himself were good, but not amazing. Mm. But I think it's what he brings in terms of organisation and leadership. He bossed that back three. You could see him marshalling. You could see him making sure the distances between them were right and that they were the right line defending the width of the goalposts. And it, it just allowed Egan, I think, to defend. I think a lot's been brought on Egan about captaincy and playing the middle role and all this. And he was just allowed to defend and he did it very well. Mm. Um, and certainly Jack O'Connell's best performance. I know he, the first 20 minutes against Swansea, he did well coming forward, but defensively, he hasn't been Jack O'Connell. Um, and he was, you know, on Saturday. He won most things in the air. He certainly won a lot on the ground. And his distribution out from the back as well was excellent passing-wise. Um, 19 out of 20 forward passes were accurate. That's an astonishing rate. Yeah. You know, he's not just chipping. He's not just chipping things up the line. He's finding feet and he's finding chest. So, really good from the back three. And I don't know if we've stumbled upon something here. You know, I, I mm. think we stumbled upon three-five-two in League One, and we might well have stumbled upon a, a a more solid back three shape. If you see what I mean, perhaps there's games where Basham can go back in there, or Leonard, or someone who can drive the game. But certainly for away games, that might be the way to go in future. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, I think just one other thing on our defending. I mean, you know, obviously we conceded from those first two corners that we uh, faced against Middlesbrough and just generally looked all at sea from from crosses and set pieces in that game. Admittedly against a team that are going to score a lot of goals from set pieces this season, but all the same as you kind of uh, wrote for the site, it was a harrowing experience watching it and I imagine probably playing in it as well. But um yeah, it, it was noticeable that QPR kind of tried to pile that pressure on us, I thought. You know, uh, I think the first two or three corners they had, it was it was like a melee on the goal line. I mean, they almost put every attacker actually basically stood on Dean Henderson's toes. And, you know, I'm watching it before the corner comes in thinking, oh, God, they're just going to drift this onto the edge of the six-yard box. Henderson's going to get blocked. Somebody's just going to flick it into the neck. But lo and behold, we defended it very well. Leon Clark actually... Uh, which is something he does very well, stuck his head in and, you know, got a few headed clearances. But as a team, just defended set pieces really well. And I mean, I know that, uh, you know, QPR ended up having more shots than us by by a fair margin, I think. But in terms of the quality of chances that we gave up, they were they were pretty low. I mean, a lot of shots from long range. I think the I might be missing one, but I think the best chance they had was actually... Um, I think it was probably with about 15 minutes to go and there was a sort of free header on about the penalty spot and the guy fortunately headed it wide. And, you know, on the replay, you could see Stearman, I assume it was his man or maybe he left it for O'Connell, but he was sort of putting his face in his hands, (laughs) even as the guy's heading it going, oh God, what have we done? We managed to let it slip. But yeah, fortunately drifted wide. But yeah, my, my overall point is, you know, it is only one game, but much more encouraging signs defensively, I think, which is is going to be very encouraging going forward. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, just to, just to finish that off and, and really emphasise your point there, if we look at the expected goals by half, so, you know, chances and good chances created by half, mm. in the first half, QPR created around about one one expected goal, so just over one. I won't go into the decimal places, but basically a lot of easy chances added up to quite high amount of expected goals, and we really didn't create much in the first half, um, other than the actual goal we scored, which was a high expected goals chance. Mm. In the second half, they only had 0.1. So despite all the attempts they had, they were all from distances and angles that you just shouldn't be scoring from. Yeah. And they didn't. You know, Dean Henderson did make more saves, five saves in total, but they were saves I'd expect him to make. You know, yeah. if, they, if they would have gone in, we would have been angry, but because he saved them, it was a very good performance from him. And, you know, I, I think that's a very key point. 
we went back to defending how we did last year, and I think that can be attributed to Stearman, which is we might give away a fair amount of shots or we might give away a fair amount of attacking pressure to us, but because we defended the box and the width of the goalposts, we didn't give away high quality of chances, and that's what we did last year. You wrote a brilliant piece on that, which is we conceded a lot more than we should have. Mm. Now, perhaps Ian Henderson can play a big part of that, it's not labelling that Jamal Batman wouldn't have saved those, but perhaps those shots and distance Dean can save because he's more agile and a better shot stopper. And we might find that if we continue this way of defending, that it actually pans out better for us this year. So that'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even the goal itself from, uh, I can't remember his name, is it Eze? Eze? Is that how you pronounce it? Eberichi yeah, Eze? It. That's it, Eze. I like Easy. Easy. Well, we'll go with Eze for yeah. the purpose of this podcast. Um, even the uh, even the goal itself. I mean, I watched it again, and uh, you know, it's it's a great strike, but it sort of flies through about four or five bodies. And if you know, if it's sort of six inches in a different direction, it probably just bashes yeah. one of our defenders and ricochets away. I mean, it, it did sort of remind me a little bit of the uh, the go- I think it was the first goal we conceded against Barnsley at, at Oakwell last season, where. You know, we're sort of defending a set piece, and in that case, that was much less excusable because it was a set piece and nobody's on the edge of the area. Whereas this one came yep. much more in transition. But yeah, I think that just illustrated, you know, even even the goal we conceded, great goal, but you know, if he hits it slightly differently, we're probably clearing it. Um, one more point, just to finish off on that, actually about about shots and quality. Um, and yeah, again, this is going to be something that goes on our on our write up for the site as well, but. I want to talk about game management because we were atrocious at this last season and against QPR, it was an absolute masterclass in closing out a game, I think. So game management is a a polite way of saying the sort of the dirty part of the game. I think that's fair to say, you know, uh, essentially, essentially time wasting, you know, keeping men behind the ball, playing slightly defensively. And I hate it as a neutral. I can't stand it. And it, obviously, when I'm on the when I'm on the receiving end of it as well, you know, when United are essentially having this done to them, I'm I'm absolutely livid. But that's football, isn't it? I mean, this is how you how you win games. And until you know, until referees actually put a stop to it, it's it is part of the game, and it's how you grind out wins when you've you've not even played that well. Which I think is my overall feeling from this game. But yeah, we were just. Um, we were just magnificent at it. I mean, the the referee gave um, it was five minutes of injury time, and I was I was paying close attention to this while watching it live. QPR didn't actually enter our half until there was ten seconds left. It was ninety four fifty on the clock, and by enter our yeah. half, I mean whack the ball into our half, which was you know yeah. mopped up by a defence. Um, I think they completed. Uh, I think it was three passes completed by QPR in the last five minutes, and all of those were basically in their penalty area. We just shut this game down brilliantly. You know, there was there was a little bit of taking our time with goal kicks. Obviously, McGoldrick, uh, you know, got injured, kind of came back on, and then eventually went off injured. It was just a dead leg, fortunately. Clark, you know, got whacked on the head, and he's gone down a bit. But you know, we just kept the ball in their in their area, basically. You know, in the corner and stuff. And um, yeah, we we got so burned last season, so many times by late goals by not being able to shut the game down. So. It sounds very stupid, but this made me very happy that we were able to just kill the game for the last probably five, or five, ten, fifteen minutes or so. To be honest, yeah, we looked streetwise, didn't we? Mm. You know, Ryan Leonard was was brilliant in that as well. I must say, he, Leonard sometimes, you know, even with myself, it's frustrating because we might want to see more of him to see what he can actually do. Um, but in the snippets that he had, you know, in that QPR game, it was fantastic. He, he put tackles in, he drove the ball forwards, he actually kept it well. 
he almost played in the right wing at some point, mm. you know, even though we were trying to contain our shape. But I mean, I've, I did when I watched the game back, because I'm a bit anal like this, I was trying to monitor our formation when we got the goal ahead. Mm. Um, so we obviously scored in the 65th minute, and we immediately dropped. And it was almost like this was planned. In the, and the, commute, the comments from the bench was brilliant as well. We dropped straight into a 5-3-2, so we used the, the wing-backs as full-backs. Um, and we actually only gave away six efforts on goal from scoring the second goal to the, the end of the game. Mm. And only two of those were inside the box from very poor angles. Yeah, Not, not one of those chances should have been scored, and they clearly weren't. Um, I, I agree. I think we were brilliant, you know. And just to add to that, one thing that we and you have talked about privately is why does Leon Clark stay on? I think this is a, a big thing within the fan base. And <laughs> yeah. The reason he stays, the reason he stays on, is because a his aerial wins. He had the most aerial wins um, out of any player that's not Jack O'Connell in our team, and mm-hmm. both of them were defensive and offensive. So he, he's got a key role in, in our set piece routine, which is he takes the near post. Um, so that, that that's absolutely key. And yeah. then second that is his pressure he applies to the ball um, Leon Clark actually applied better pressure to the ball than anyone than Chris Basham in this game mm. so you know there's a lot to be said about Leon Clark and his performances but in recently I don't think they've been up to scratch they're not good enough as a forward but mm. he's certainly bringing elements to the game when you're 2-1 up that, that others don't and I think that does need to be applauded and recognised he's, he's not this languid fellow that we all think he is his pressure stats are good he, he certainly presses when he can and needs to so that's yeah. my final point on that yeah, no, I think that's very fair, and I, th- I think it's a lazy stereotype that some people have, sort of have of like, oh, he's just, you know, he's not trying hard or, you know, he's lazy or something like that. I mean, I, I would hope that what we saw last season, even in the games where he didn't score, were enough to put that out of people's minds, but, you know, I know that some people still think that way. But, yeah, I, I sort of looked at this as well. I mean, we'll come on to player ratings for the, the whole team in a moment, but, yeah, I looked, up, um, I looked at the stats for... Because I think one of the things that um, sort of came out after the game was like, you know, why on earth has Wilder taken off Sharp instead of Clark when McGoldrick came on? And, you know, t- to me, this it's just perfectly logical. I mean, Clark is just just offers more as a physical presence. You know, if we're if we're level or, or ahead, it's just a more logical thing for me. I mean, you know, you could also probably make a case about um, Sharp's fitness, maybe not being quite up to scratch yet either, seeing as he's, you know, that was his first start of the season. But, yeah, if you look at... Um, you know, I looked at Sharp's stats for this game. I thought he had a perfectly good game, but you know, he had he scored literally nothing from a defensive metric point of view. So if you're looking at you know tackles, recoveries, you know, ball, uh, sorry, clearances, anything like that, it just got big fat zeros everywhere. Whereas uh, you know, Clark has got uh, he had one ball recovery. I think he won five out of his nine aerial duels. Had a couple of tackles, interception, two out of three defensive duels as well. That's why he stays on the pitch. His all-around performance is is valuable, and you know we don't have anybody else to kind of do that right now. So that's why. Yeah. yeah final point on that one. Um, I guess also I just want to. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I kind of feel like some fans think that Wilder isn't playing Duffy for reasons that are not fathomable. I mean, this just seems pretty clear cut to me. He's, you know. It's just a fitness thing, surely. I mean, if Duffy could start and play all three games in this first week, I'm sure he would do. You know, yeah. the only, I mean, the only alternative to that is that Wilder thinks he's rubbish, which is, you know, no. I, I think we probably owe Wilder slightly more credit than that. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's not like, oh, why is why is he holding back Duffy, and you know, why didn't Sharp play the ninety minutes? It is just fitness, and I, I think also, you know. I'm not obviously not a professional footballer, indeed a professional athlete of any capacity. But 
I would imagine it will take several weeks, several games before players are up to full match fitness. I know we we have the preseason to try and build that kind of thing, but you know, I would imagine as a sort of you know follower of football that it does just take time basically before you are up to speed, and that is the kind of thing why Sharp comes off after sixty five minutes instead of uh, instead of playing the full ninety. Yeah, of course, you periodise. You know, it's called periodisation for anyone who doesn't know. You periodise your training. You do not want to be fully fit for the first game of the season mm. because that means that in 46 games' time, you will be dead. You will have no legs. <laughs> yeah. You know, you periodise you periodize your training so that you're fully fit a month or two into the season and you try and maintain that throughout, which is recovery and all the things they do these days, which is magnificent stuff. And we've got a great team at doing that. That's the other side of it. Not only are we not trusting Wilder to assess Duffy's fitness, you know, Matt Prestridge has had more credit in sports science terms from United and across, you know, not just United fans, but across the leagues throughout, you know, for the last two years, what he's done at Sheffield United. We are one of the fittest teams. Our game is expansive. We are expected to run beyond belief. Mm. Jack O'Connell and Ender Stevens ran more miles than anyone and played 41 and 46 games. We know how to judge a player's fitness. And it's not just that. If we would have played Mark Duffy against Swansea, well, quite frankly, we were 1-0 up and should have seen that out, possibly. Mm. So, was Duffy really needed? Maybe, yeah. you know, when we conceded, but, you know, that's that's one thing. We bought on Woodburn, that's the same type of player against Middlesbrough. Would playing Duffy have really served us better if we were going to defend like that anyway? <laughs> can't see yeah. can't see Duffy is about five foot nothing, sort of suddenly yeah. leaping above Aidan Flint to make a massive defensive header, as much as I would like to see that. I suppose no, it's not going It's just not going to happen, is it? We would have been 2-0 down or 3-0 down no matter what, and then yeah. Duffy did on and did show his worth, but it didn't change anything anyway. So, quite frankly, Wilder may well have used fitness and physicality as a consideration and thought, this is a winnable game. We're going to play on the front foot. Mark Duffy's that type of player. This is the game Mark Duffy plays. Yeah. And it worked, you know? And we've had the same start as last year. So, panic over everyone. Calm down. <laughs> That's very true. We can come on to that in uh, a little more detail in a while. I just want to I want to quickly shout out again, uh, Eberici Easy as a... Because, I mean, what a performance. So we kind of, uh, well, actually, full credit to you. You were the one that uh, name-checked him on our season preview podcast and uh, you brought him up in your your QPR preview as well. But, yeah, this guy, I mean, I'll, I'll be completely honest, I've never heard of this guy before you uh, you brought him up. But 20 years old, he's on loan at Wickham Wanderers last season. And, I mean, on this evidence, what a player. He's absolutely fantastic. I mean... I think he barely mis barely misplaced a pass uh, through the whole game. He had, I think, it was six shots, of which five were on target, and you know the one that wasn't was like a foot wide. He just is fast. He's skillful. Um, yeah, it looks like looks like a heck of a talent, and uh, you know probably very encouraging for QPR fans, particularly if they can hang on to him. I suppose. Yeah, um, yeah. Thanks, thanks for the feedback there and the scouting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as part of a you know, another couple of functions I do, or even just for fun myself, yeah, I, I do do a bit of lower league EFL scouting. And for Wickham last year, he stood out. Mm. Um, not particularly output numbers-wise, but when you watch him play as a player in there. And I think it was interesting. Again, I was watching the, the 70s production that is Quest, uh, <laughs> who had Ian Holloway on, which really made sense for the 70s. Mm. Um, but Holloway was, was quite adamant that easy isn't fast. Um, I, I thought he was pacey enough, but I actually agree. I think he looked massively quick it was more his balance and his strength off both feet he could could shoot off both feet like we're rocking yeah there's there's sort of different kinds of there's different kinds of speed isn't there there's like can you run in a straight line extremely quickly or can you move the ball in your body so quickly that the defender can't keep up with you from a standing start and that was essentially what he was able to do 
yeah, I agree. He's probably got better agility and balance more than pace. Yeah. Um, you know, and he can shift it on a sixpence type thing, as you say. That, even though he's quite stocky, he's got that low centre of gravity, but he's very strong. And yeah, I agree. He did rip us a new one, if you will, <laughs> that yeah. first half. But again, as much as it was an impressive individual performance from him, I do think some of those shots, you know, if I'm a scout and I'm looking at that shot map and that shot selection, some of those weren't the greatest shots. Perhaps, mm. you know, just saying, putting another slant on it, from our, our point of view defensively, maybe we were forcing him into angles and things, you know. Mm, I, I think there's something to be said about that. Um, I'm not saying we're meant to. He certainly did duck inside and go outside of, uh, of Egan sometimes when he couldn't do nothing, but just a, just a slant on it from our point of view. But, uh, yeah. I guess that, that leads nicely into player ratings because the one person who kept him out was Dean Henderson. So in the player ratings, let, let's talk about Dean Henderson. That's a very good segue. So I think the way we should do this is uh, we'll go player by player, a bit like we did for the um, the preview. And you can tell me, uh, you can give me your rating and I will tell you mine. Uh, and we, maybe we can give a, a quick explanation as well. So I guess hopefully we can do um, approximately a podcast after every game um, in future. But we'll we'll just start with the QPR one for now. So go on then, Dean Henderson. Give me your rating out of ten. I would give Dean an eight for this game. Um, okay. I, I think simply five saves again. All expected. I, I wouldn't say expected as in easy, but you know, a goalkeeper for his standard, I expected to save them, but he did his job. He kept them out um, under pressure as well. You know, there was some of those saves under Kosh. You know, where QPR were coming with set pieces and, and a lot of shots. So yeah, six shots against. You know. Good saves. Not bad distribution either, actually, um, compared to his Middlesbrough and Swansea distribution. Mm. So that was good as well. Um, didn't come out of claim much. I don't think he's going to be Jamal in that aspect, but he is a shot stopper and he's very good at it. So I, I think he did his job and he did it very well. Yeah, I, I gave him a nine, actually. I thought it was a you know a brilliant performance. And yeah, he would be my... Spoiler alert for the rest of the ratings, but he would certainly be my man of the match. Um, I think also... Uh, it, he was actually quite impressive from crosses. I thought there were a few kind of, uh, you know, a few floaty ones into the box, but there were a couple that were fizzed in where I thought, oh, he's going to have to, he's going to have to push that away or punch it or something. And you know, he, he sort of hyper extended, if you like, and managed to hold on to it. So yeah, I take your point about there's a lot of saves there that you kind of expect him to make. I don't, I don't think, um, I don't think any of his saves were as good as the one that uh, Ingram made from Clark in the second half, but. Yeah, Absolutely, still yeah. a uh, a fantastic performance overall. So, yeah, high rating from me as well. Uh, Kieran Freeman, uh, may- maybe on the basis of that, we're going to be like a mark out all the way through, but we can just do an average afterwards. So it's all good. So Kieran Freeman, I- I'd give an eight to. Uh, I thought, you know, obviously getting an assist, you know, you could say, well, it's a simple a simple ball for for Sharp to finish off, but that's still a skill to put that on a plate, you know, to time time your run, control the ball, uh, actually, you know, time your pass so that Sharp doesn't actually go offside, although maybe Steve McLaren will take issue with that. Um, <laughs> and uh, he created um, created another chance as well. So, uh, yeah, defended pretty well. I think uh, a really impressive first start of the season for him. So, yeah, I'll give him an eight. Yeah, yeah, pretty much the same. Um, yeah, again, with Freeman, there's always going to be things he does better defensively. But as you say, if you're looking at sheer numbers, expected assist-wise, he was the main player in the game. And, and Again, the pass was easy to Sharp, but he made it easy because he was there. And, and quite frankly, Bulldog probably wouldn't have been there, so definitely an eight. Mm, nice one. John Egan? I had John Egan as a seven. Um, I, I, it could have been a six, mm. but I just felt that he deserved almost a, a sentimental extra mark. <laughs> the fact that it, it, 
he's took a bit of criticism uh, for being a record club signing and all. You know, shipping five goals in, in two games and set pieces wise, he's supposed to be the, the commanding centre half, if you will. But he won four out of his six defensive duels in this game. Won, uh, you know, sixty percent of his aerial duels he won as well. Fair amount of clearances and interceptions as well overall. I, I just thought it was a very good basic centre half performance, and it's exactly what we required in this game. He did his defending, he did it well, um, and he was part of that back three that was a good unit. So I, I thought a seven was fair. Yeah, beautifully put. Nothing to add there. And I also gave him a 7 out of 10. And I also did have the thought process of, uh, could have been a 6, but let's give him a sentimental 7. So <laughs> very nicely put indeed. Uh, Richard Stearman, I'd also give 7 out of 10. I, I think you could make a case that he was our most impressive defender. And if we're doing half marks, then maybe a 7.5. But yeah, he's um, completed 5 out of 5 clearances, 2 out of 2 headed clearances, won 3 out of his 4 aerials, also got an interception, which is something that he does very well. Um, yeah, you know, I think we sort of discussed at the end of last season that perhaps upgrading on Stearman is, is something that we would look to do over the summer. But as you say, maybe on this evidence, uh, our best back three does involve him in the centre. So, yeah, good, solid 7 out of 10 performance for me. Yeah, I, again, I, I, I got the same as you. If you did hard, it'd be 7.5, wouldn't it? You mm. know, numbers-wise, in terms of his output, wasn't quite an 8. You know, he wasn't the dominant one, but because of what he brings to the team and that organisation, he definitely deserves a seven and possibly more. So well done, Steers. And there's a big, big selection headache here for Wilder at the back. Mm, indeed. Jack O'Connell? I um, Because we're numbers orientated as well as performance, I actually gave Jack an eight. Oh, OK. Um, and I, I'll show you my working out for this. Uh, Go for it. Will. Um, and, and it is numbers-based, really. On reflection, after watching it again, it, it really dawned on me how dominant Jack was down his side. Um, you know, 83% of his aerial duels he won. He won 75% of loose ball duels. Decent amount of interceptions and clearances. But can we just reel off some of his passing stats? Because quite frankly, Jack has been poor uh, distribution-wise in his first two games. Mm. But pa- passing-wise, I've already quoted the 19 out of 20 forward passes were, were you know accurate. Mm. Um, four, 14 out of 14 normal passes, if we say so, just a, a standard pass. Seven out of seven progressive passes. A progressive pass is anything over 30 metres that's accurate. Um, so that's 100%. And he also hit 11 out of 12 passes to the final third as well. Hmm, okay. so 92% of his accuracy to the final third. Um, that, obviously, that could be broken down depending on who your data source is. It could be broken down differently. But outstanding, quite frankly, distribution-wise. Um, and he just, you know, that with his defensive side just really surprised me um, because Jack has, has been poor recently for distribution so I thought he deserved an eight for that mm. yeah well your uh, your research has surpassed mine so I've, I've gone for a, a, <laughs> a low research seven out of ten but uh, you made a very strong case there um all right let's uh, let's get through a few of these a bit more quickly so Ender Stevens I've given a six out of ten you know, kind of stat-wise, it wasn't too bad. He was very heavily involved. He had the most crosses, uh, of which, uh, yes, seven crosses with three completed. But, you know, I, I felt he wasted some really good positions. You know, it was a couple of times we, we worked this sort of overload on the left and he got into the box. And I'm, you know, just thinking, just square it for Fleck or Duffy or Sharp or whoever. And, you know, it's just a poor ball, to be honest. And even though I'm an, an ender defender, as I, I think we need a... Need a T-shirt with that on or something. Um, <laughs> it, it, this sort of left wing back slot does feel like something that we could improve with somebody like uh, Marvin Johnson, who's obviously been rumoured to be potentially on his way to the lane. So I think he was okay, but uh, one of the weaker links on Saturday, I thought. Yeah, I, I, I 
echo that. I know we're going to run through them quite quickly, so I won't, won't say much further. But, you know, um, not good enough for Ender, really. Uh, and he hasn't been, and we have defended him, um, quite frankly, <laughs> very much on this pod and, and on Twitter. So it's not like us to do this, but his output has been poor. Um, like two out of eight crosses were accurate, was it? Three um, out of seven on uh, per stats then. Yeah, we'll go with that. So I'm probably right. Um, I was, yeah, that's my manual down, but you know, it, it's not enough. Um, and it, you know, this is a man who I'll refer people to the write up on this, but this is a man who's having the most touches in the last three games for us. Mm. He's involved in the most play, and I, quite frankly, I think we're overplaying on that left hand side now. I understand we're looking for that combination. We're looking for that overlap with the wing back around the, the, mm. the opposition full back base, but it, it's getting too much now on that side, and I think. It, if we can see it, it's easy for opposition to suss out. We are well, that's that's what concerns me a little bit, and I'm I'm trying to think who there was a team in the World Cup, and the opposition very clearly allowed one of their fullbacks or wingbacks to have the ball, and I sort of worry if teams are starting to do that a little bit with Stevens as well, sort of going like, yeah, you can have it out there because chances are your production's not going to be that good, and we're going to you know block a path into the box or block a yeah, path recycling. Um, I mean, I don't know. We're, we're talking a very small sample size here. And obviously, you know, Ender's numbers last season, attacking-wise, were actually quite impressive. But, yeah, that, that's something I would be slightly concerned about going forward, I think, unless his uh, performance uh, I, I agree. Improves. Again, just to end on that, you've nailed that. It's a great point. And also, what they've realised is Ender Stevens isn't going to beat a man one-on-one. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's not going to run at them. Whether he can or can't, he's up for debate. I think he probably can, actually, when he has a dribble, but he doesn't. He, he cuts back inside and we pass inside and the momentum of the move's gone. Um, and there seems to be a lack of confidence in Stevens' play at the minute. So I, I do hope and maybe think that we will be bringing in a left-wing back competition. Mm, potentially. Um, all right, Mark Duffy? Uh, Duffy, I gave a 7-2. I don't think he, he did enough for an 8. I think that, that wasn't Duffy's best game. I know some mm. people on social media have said he, he kind of created everything for us. And naturally, it will go through Duffy because he is the number 10. He is the creative player. I think we could have done more to provide him with better ball and also better movement in front, but he did what he needed to do again with that one quality moment in the game. And yeah. he was very, you know, as Mark Duffy is, very good technically in the game. So certainly not below a seven, but I don't think he was by far the best player we had on the pitch. Yeah, I'll give him an eight out of ten. That pass was just unbelievable. <laughs> it's just a yeah, fantastic a ball. Uh, Chris Basham, uh, a slightly. Yeah. Uh, slightly unusual perhaps selection in central midfield I mean he, he played there in the second half against Middlesbrough uh, when we saw the teams announced uh, you know we were sort of messaging each other and I was like mm, not a huge fan of Basham in central midfield but I thought it was a fine performance I'll give him 7 out of 10 for this he had uh, 9 ball recoveries which is a team high he won a lot of fouls won 3 out of 4 aerial duels you know his passing was pretty pretty weak I think it was below 70% and that kind of shows his limitations but in terms of, um, I guess, in terms of what we could have hoped out of his performance, this was good. I thought. I think so. Um, again, he's a seven slash eight for me in my mind, and I, mm. again, it's very hard. I refer people to the write up that we've done for this. Um, there's a whole section on what Basham did and brought to the game. The ball recoveries were interesting, um, certainly, but it was. I think he set the tone. So the whole written piece is based on, you know our pressure on the ball and I won't go into that in the pod because we're trying to run through some things quite quickly but United pressed in this game higher than we've ever done in this season um, and Basham was key to that and he set the tempo he got about the opposition but not just got stuck in he actually pressed in good positions in the opposition half and high up the pitch um, and that 
forced us to get a lot of turnovers in opposition half. And it also brought the defensive line up. Now, I'm not sure we have another player in the team who can do that like Basham because of his athleticism and his strength and his physicality. Uh, he certainly added a lot to the game that I probably wouldn't have said he would have done beforehand. Um, I don't mm. think that's a long-term answer. And, you know, with Yippie, as it were, Ollie Norwood signing today, you know, I'm sure we'll touch on that a bit later. What a fantastic signing. And he will probably take that role in centre mid now. Mm. But Bash, Bash had a great game. Um, and he set the tone for us defensive, defensively, but on an offensive output, if you see what I mean. Yeah, fair enough. John Fleck? Uh, Fleck, I gave a 6 to. Um, yeah. A- another average, if not below average game from Fleck. I think we've been spoiled with Fleck last year. We expect a lot better. He hasn't started this year. He is a traditional slow starter. But again, mm. refer, pe- refer people to the written piece. Our left-hand side is very dominant. John Fleck had the second most touches in this game and quite frankly didn't do enough with what he had. Um, he- he's not providing those driving, dribbling runs. I know people are saying that he's leaning to the left-hand side, but he did that last year too. Yeah. So we, we can't forget what he did last year good in that area just because he's doing it poorly this year. Uh, this could be fitness-related. John Fleck does seem like a player who can maybe carry some weight over summer and, and lose that as he gets into pre-season. It takes a while to get his legs back. And he'll certainly look a better player with Norwood and returning Coots, no doubt, next to him. Um, and I think also he did slightly improve his performance in a two rather than playing the three and maybe he's the third before with one. So... Maybe if we carry on with the three, we'll see better performances, but not good enough from Fleck yet. Yeah, no, I gave him a six out of ten as well. I mean, sort of the victim of the high standard that he set last season, but yeah, as you say, a fairly average to below average performance, I thought. Um, last two then, Leon Clarkey of six out of ten. You know, I kind of ran through some of his stats earlier in terms of uh, his overall contribution to the game. He had that one, fan- well, I'd say it was a very good chance. The the sort of volley in the second half that he created for himself, to be honest, it was like a, a ball into the channel. He flicked it over the defender and then got a good contact on the uh, on the volley. Uh, but Ingram made a fantastic save. And I, I think if he scores that, people are probably like, oh, that's an 8 or 9 out of 10 performance from Clark. But unfortunately, is uh, it didn't happen for him. So, yeah, I think I think 6 out of 10 is probably about right for him. Yeah, Leon Clark, now I had him as a 6 as well. Um Again, yeah, I won't go too in-depth on it. I think, you know, did a lot for the team, a lot of teamwork from Leon, but he's not quite getting in positions yet. And when he is getting there, the finishing is not quite there yet. The chance he created from himself, good play. But, you know, should he be taking that six, seven yards out, hard with a bouncing ball? But I think he should be finishing that. Um, and again, I think it comes to what we've said about Clark before. He's a streaky striker. If he scores one, he'll probably get five, you know, in the next five games. Um, mm. So it'd be interesting. I think I gave, I gave Billy a seven. Yeah. Um, simply because I don't think he did much overall, but what he did was score, and that's what Billy Sharp does. You know, I think Skybet were tweeting out some wonderful stats about Sharp after the game, and uh, yeah. it, it, he's, uh, he's got an outstanding scoring record, and he's, you know, I think I wrote in uh, the, the match preview, his expected goals per night is the highest in our team. Mm. He seems to be in the right place. He's always on the end of those type of crosses. He makes it look easy, you know, oh, Billy Sharp scored from one yard out, but the fact is, he's there one yard out. You know, he's following that play. He's acting quicker than defenders so yeah we have to give him credit his job is to score and he did score so i can't see him below a seven yeah no seven out of ten for me too for exactly the same reason all right uh so that was player rating since we last spoke uh i believe this is right we signed uh ben woodburn on loan he's obviously been sort of uh he's made three appearances so far but all from the sub bench and also uh kian bryan a young defender from man city but today uh, i mean much rumored over the last three or four days but um Today, we announced the signing of Oliver Norwood from 
I've forgotten where it was. Was he at Brighton or Fulham? It was at Brighton, wasn't he? Brighton, he was on loan at Fulham. On loan at Fulham, yeah. That was very amateurish of me. Maybe I can edit that out. No, forget it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, I mean, uh, yeah, this is kind of reported to be a sort of a a mere £2 million for for Norwood, who, uh, you know, that feels on paper like a bit of a snip. I mean, he's 27 years old. He... uh, He's won back-to-back promotions with with Brighton and then with Fulham, as you say, was on loan to last season, and and he wasn't exactly a fringe player for either team either. I mean, he I think he had like it's about thirty-three and thirty-six appearances in the league for both teams. Um, yeah, do you, I mean, as a sort of the more scouting type person on this, more performance analysis type person on this podcast, do you want to quickly tell us why we should be excited by uh, Ollie Norwood? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm I'm currently kind of working my way for a bit of a comparison of what Norwood brings and also comparing him to the departure of Evans, mm. um, who makes this a, an even better deal. Uh, the fact that we managed to sell the Evans for what's reported, and I believe to be right, about a million pounds. Yeah. Um, how, that's, how that's structured, I don't know. But then you consider that we've just got only Norwood for one million pounds. Mm. You know, when you look at it that way, that's an outstanding deal in this modern-day crazy transfer market. Um, what Norwood brings... He's defensively decent. I wouldn't say he's a, you know, he's not a ball winner. He's not going to be the Kante of the championship, but he's good. Uh, his numbers were full and were good. He, he tackles and intercepts a lot. He puts pressure on the ball and he's he's predominantly in the right position. I think Lee Evans actually had good ball recovery numbers for Sheffield mm. United uh, overall. That was kind of something that was a mute point. He might not win the ball in a tackle, but he, he seemed to pick up a lot of loose balls and win the ball from when it broke up. So that Norwood will continue that, but what he will provide is some very, very incisive passing from deep. Mm. The type of passing we have seen since Coots got injured. Um, he's a good forward passer. He's accurate and it's the good areas. He's got good expected assist ratings. And he's kind of, we talk about expected um, goal chain. I'll get into what that is on the website maybe one day. But basically, his, his involvement in chance creation. So he might play a pass that leads to a pass that leads to a shot. Mm. We, we, can, we can record that type of thing. And Ollie Norwood was very high on Fulham's list for that. Um, so he's a good deep passer of the ball. It, it's not that it's wasted. He's not sideways, which was labelled at Evans. It's not backwards. He passes the ball forward with purpose, which is something we have missed. And hopefully that will make us play a little bit quicker and with tempo. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's a really good deal. And as I said, I, I think this goes to, again, if Wilder ever needed to earn our trust anymore, which he doesn't for me and you, but for some out there, he clearly does. Um, this should teach us all to be patient. Yeah. Um, he knows what he's doing. I think... Uh... Yeah, one of the things, I mean, maybe this is the most optimistic reading possible, but the the way I sort of looked at this is like, you know, teams and particularly less savvy managers will still get caught up on this transfer deadline that was last week. Whereas, you know, obviously you and I and plenty of other people have been pointing out, like, it's almost a fake deadline. Like, the real deadline is going to be when you can't loan players anymore because all smart managers will be like, well, we've got another three weeks and we'll just loan these guys and agree a fee to sign them in uh, in three months or so, which is obviously exactly what's happened with Norwood. But yeah, the, the ultimate optimistic reading is we've we've almost stayed out of this frantic panic buying nature last Thursday or Wednesday, whenever it was, and been like, we'll just take our time and get this deal done in a few more days. Like even if we'd signed him on Wednesday or Thursday, maybe we maybe wouldn't have played at the weekend anyway. But yeah, it, it looks like... Uh, it looks like great business, and I'm I'm sure we'll have um, you know other irons in the fire over the next few weeks as well. All right, mate. Let's leave it there then for this week. So uh, United are on the board. We've got our first points. We've got Hull in the League Cup next, and then Norwich at home on Saturday. 
Thank you very much for giving up your time as always. And uh, yeah, I'll obviously be talking to you soon and looking forward to more great content from you on uptheblades.com as well. Yeah, thanks, mate. Um, yeah, wonderful talking to you. And it's, uh, it's always good to do this after a win. Absolutely. All right, buddy. Talk to you later. Bye, guys. Cheers. Bye-bye.